is supported by you and the following underwriters. The Catskill Revitalization Corporation, home of the Delaware and Ulster Railroad, based in Arkville, and the Catskill Scenic Trail for hiking and biking along the old rail bed from Roxbury to Bloomville. The Delaware and Ulster Railroad Tourism Train is scheduled to return this summer for rides in an open car or coach with food and beverage aboard the vintage Silver Rose Dining Car. Dates and details at the Delaware and Ulster Railroad Facebook page or at durr.org. Rockland Cider Works, upstate in Gilboa. An agritourism cidery with vacation rentals on a sprawling former dairy farm. Gluten-free hard cider made from 100% New York State apples, New York State produced beer, wine, and spirits, and live music this Friday and Saturday and every Friday and Saturday through October. Rockland Cider Works, upstate on Stryker Road in Gilboa. Details at rocklandciderworks.com. The Delaware County Department of Public Works annual Clean Sweep Chemical Disposal Day for businesses and farms, Friday, September 22nd, and for residential households, Saturday, September 23rd. Registration required 607-865-6474, 607-865-6474. Click the Clean Sweep link at WIOXradio.org for more details. You're listening to WIOX Roxbury, your live and local soundtrack to summer in the Catskills when you explore the towns and villages of Delaware County, Andes, Bovina, Fleischmann's, Margaretville, and Roxbury for local music, art, food, shopping, swimming, hiking, biking, fishing, or whatever your imagination desires. So stay tuned and stick around. Find links to summer events in the Catskills at WIOXradio.org. Listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi. 
and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or smartphones. This is From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and Zane. Zane, how's it going? Hey, pretty good. What's happening? Uh, what's happening? Um, well, I'm enjoying this cool summer. It's a true mountain summer. I guess the rest of the country is ablaze, but uh, <laughs> with heat, some fires... And we're not. We uh, we're enjoying it's ourselves been, with, with the cool man. It's uh, been real nice. It is. You know, summer, as I've said on this show before, is one of my least favorite times of year because I don't like the heat at all. And it's been like high of seventy-five, <laughs> lows in the fifties. You can't ask for better. Everybody I've been meeting, that's the first thing they say. God, isn't this great weather? Yeah, God, it's a great day to be outside. Everybody's saying it. I feel like if you're a true northerner, this is the best summer, you yeah. know. For some people, like Floridians, like when I went there, this would be like the coldest day sometimes <laughs> in the whole year. <laughs> I don't know if it ever gets to the 50s. I'm sure it does, but very rarely. I was there in December and it never got below. Now, I was just only there for a week, okay, so calm down. But I was only, um, yeah, it got below maybe in the upper 60s at night once or twice. It's amazing. It must have been weird looking at a calendar and then looking outside, and you're just trying to make sense of it as a northerner. I know. I was saying this guy who had been um, in Florida for the last 30 years but was from New England. So I, I strike up a conversation with him as I was walking in Florida. And I was like, man, this heat's killing me. He's like, hot. Oh, it's pretty cool out right now. I was like, where are you from? He's like, oh, I'm from, like, Massachusetts or something. I'm like, you haven't been there in a while, have you? He's like, well, no, not really. I'm like, okay, this would be the balmiest july day in the northeast like if it doesn't get below 70 that's really balmy in the summer okay yeah. it's like god it didn't even get below 70 last night all right and and it was high and it was kind of abnormally warm when i was down it was in the 90s during the day in december so they said usually it's in the 80s well some days it can be in the 50s and 60s but it was in the 90s and it didn't get below 70 very much. So I was not happy. You and I were cabling a tree in Cragsmore like the week before in Ulster County on top of the Shangam Ridge at around almost, what, 1,600, 1,800 feet in elevation with snow hitting our faces. And then the next week after that, I was in Florida. So I was, my body was like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> you know. What else have I been up to? Drove through Schoharie Valley, and I tried a um, ginger gold apple. What, today? No, this was uh, oh, over the right. weekend. All right, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never had one. They were great. Yeah? I highly recommend them. Ginger gold. Yeah, I think I've had them. They're a good one, right? They're, uh, they, usually they I, recommend it because they're, they're supposed to be uh, less susceptible to diseases, I thought. This one looked pretty good, but it's yeah. a great tasting apple, I thought. A lot of the apples are... Not looking very good. Their leaves this year, uh, just the rain did it. You know, a lot of scab going on, black rot as well. Yeah, I've seen a lot of... Frog eye is what it's called, frog uh, eye spot. Yeah, I've seen a lot of uh, cherries, black cherries dropping their leaves already. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So but It's already yeah, fall for those trees. Yeah, we're getting a little fall even with sugar maple at, at some elevations. Uh, some of them turning yellow and dropping prematurely. So, uh, yeah, those stressed ones, they're starting to show their colors. Yeah. Those are trees to look at and think about. Maybe have an arborist over, take a look at them if they're near the house. I went and got my doe tag today, so mm. I'm all set. Um, 
I'm looking for hunting season is is coming fast and furious here. It's it's we're looking into September. September's one of my favorite months. It's really cool at night. It doesn't get usually too hot. So, I like that, but um I try to hold on to September hmm. because then once the fall comes, you know, it's all about hunting and dreaming of deer and seeing deer and thinking of deer and dealing with deer and processing deer and taking their hides off. <laughs> yeah, I got my hunting license i got my doe tags and a bunch of turkey tags and for the first time so i don't know we'll see what happens i just have a, a compound bow that's all set to go and we'll see i got three months yeah. to try and try and bag one so it's a long season yeah it's a long season october 1st to uh now it's january yeah you know i'm surprised yeah. I'm learning all this stuff, so... Yeah, it's a long really season. A lot of questions. Well, a lot of your questions can be answered in your syllabus of the DEC, <laughs> and they put out all the rules and regs, and uh, there's there are many. It, it's so. helpful. It's a helpful thing, but yeah, it's it's something you got to sit down and read. Yeah, if, you, if, if you've never hunted, you know, a lot of people aren't familiar with wildlife management units, for example, like yeah. WMUs, and the whole state is divided up into these things. That, for the most part, follow major roadways, so you know where the hell they are. And uh, depending on which one you're in, it, it can dictate which deer you can take or whatever. So, or the length of the season, or you know, so you have to pay attention to them. Yeah, that was I don't know. I kind of understood that, but it, it's wild when you see a big map of it and you realize how much goes into managing that wildlife and you know many people think you just pick up a rifle and go out in the woods anywhere we're like well not really no you gotta register and you gotta get the right area and go at the right time season and it's all these things so you can't just get it up pick up and go no no but um i'm done with deer from last year finally last weekend i finished uh tanning my second doe hide and uh it takes a long time to soften a doe hide after it's done soaking in tannic acid for two 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 plus months, and uh, as it dries, you have to add oils to it, so it's pliable, and that takes a long time. So, my technically my deer hunting season last year finally ended last weekend. <laughs> is what I'm wow. saying. So, of course, we have f- still some meat left but not too much from those i got two deer last year that was it yeah and for your uh, whole family yeah it's enough three would we could we would eat it i think um but we like to diversify the uh the menu yeah you know but my kids for the most part eat steaks because they man they they only like the best cuts and uh you know they are something, but yeah, they don't really eat burger meat too much. Shanks are out. <laughs> Neck meats, no way. For now. But they like the uh, top sirloin and uh, the back <laughs> straps, of course, and uh, all that good stuff. Nice. So, but it's coming, and falls in the air. You can smell it. Tonight's topic is trees that no one wants. Wow. Oh, wow. Jeez, you know, and some some of you might be saying. I want all the trees. <laughs> I like them all. <laughs> I don't want to give give away any trees. Tree that nobody wants. And uh, we, we're going to argue uh, that that is misguided. But you know what? You're allowed to be misguided. And, and you know what? It's your woods. At the end of the day, you're the landowner. And uh, what you do and don't do 
will have impacts on the forest, whether you do something or not. So well, we're going to talk about why you might want to get rid of some trees, mm. or rather cut some trees. But we're going to define what we mean by low-grade and high-grade trees tonight. So you've heard the saying before, you can't even give them away. Well, why should you care about giving away any of your trees? Most forest owners don't own forests for commercial reasons. This, there's been many surveys done by the USDA Forest Service and I think the Fish and Wildlife Service as well, um, CFA, Catskill Forest Association over in Arkville. Um, they have done surveys with their, their membership, which stretches over 80,000 acres and 1,200 members throughout the six counties of the Catskills. And we find, or Catskill Forest Association finds that um, those surveys of the USDA to line up that most forest owners own it for recreation and wildlife and for um, passive uses, in quotes, I say, passive meaning not so much for timber. Timber's way down. Hunting is even way down. Uh, As you might imagine, mining, bluestone quarrying, all those things are are last on the list. It's mostly to just enjoy it. That's really what is going on. So is that what you've seen, Dan? What's your experience with dealing with um, members and forest owners at the Catskill Forest Association. Yeah, I mean, it checks out with, with my experience. Um, people, uh, you know, like the woods the way they are. Um, they like to keep it that way. Um, but, yeah, they're very aesthetically motivated um, when, you know, a view is not being obscured. And then uh, uh, cut, cut, cut. But other than that, it's, uh, yeah, it's... Timber isn't uh, a big uh, thing on the priority on their mind when it comes to asking questions about the land. Yeah, it's a unique position to be. I feel like uh, we take it for granted, but it's a wealthy position that we don't have to use our land, and we rely upon the resources of someone else's forest. That's an interesting way to think about it, that, that we're so wealthy that we're not relying on the land, our income, which is, I don't know, interesting way to frame it. I think it... Uh, uh, catches a lot of people's attention. Caught my attention to frame it that way. Well, we never consider ourselves wealthy. We always consider other people wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> they are wealthy or they are something. But um, overall, yeah, this is the first time in human history that we haven't had to rely upon the land to make a living from. I feel like that's not um, really that debatable but i guess some people might try to but or rely on our own personal land yeah like to be specific yeah and there's a reason why i always thought maybe i'm wrong why um you know property tax was a thing because your wealth is mainly based off your income from your income which came from land mm-hmm. and income tax came later on so land is was the most important if you could add up the acreage and you could kind of surmise how much wealth you had by the land you own but that's not really the case as much, although you can sell land mm-hmm. right today and make it into liquid assets. But uh yeah, you're not you're not bluestone quarrying, you're not farming as much, um you're not doing forestry, whether it's for wood products or acid wood industry for different mm-hmm. chemicals. They used to come from wood, now they come from fossil fuels. Uh for fuel wood, mm-hmm. all these things that, you know. I mean, turpentines, you know, all these things that we used to use, the, the, the woods for many different things, but yeah. no longer. So, 
Um, there are trade-offs, though, to not using land and not having the ability to even use the land, which is what we'll go into tonight. And let's define high-grade first. Before we get into what is a tree you can't give away or a low-grade tree, and I know some people might be cringing. They're not. None are low-grade. They're all high-grade. <laughs> They're all valuable in some way. Why would you label this tree as low-grade? We'll get into it, right? Just, just calm down, all right? Let's define high-grade first. What are these trees you can't give away? So, uh, well, what's high-grade? Why should you care? Trees that pay their way out of the woods are mainly high-grade trees in our neck of the woods, in the Catskill Mountains. Um, these are usually trees that are greater than 14 inches in diameter, not circumference, diameter, which is a measurement through the, through the center of the tree. Right. Right. Don't get your measuring tape out. Don't get your measuring tape to out. To wrap around the tree. I mean, you can. You just have to divide by 3.14. Yeah. Do some more calculations. Right, or pi. You know, diameter tapes already do that measurement for you, which is why they're awesome. You ever mess with someone and they're like, wait, I thought you're, you're charging me by diameter. You're doing circumference right now. And I'm like, it's a <laughs> diameter tape. But I wouldn't expect anyone to know that because, yeah. I mean, I never knew that until, you know, school. And they're like, a D-tape. You know? It's like those diagrams at the back of the textbook that show you what areas and a trapezoid. Oh, okay, that's what that's what that's saying. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so they're greater than 14 inches in diameter. They're usually straight-growing trees. Uh, this gets confused a lot. People are like, I got these big trees growing on the hedgerow along the stone wall. They're 45 inches in diameter, but they got crooked crookedness to them and branches everywhere. They got, you know... No 16 feet of clear wood, meaning yeah. branch-free. So they're worthless for lumber. Yeah, they get really, timber. really limmy. Um, have this conversation with members when they when they're inquiring about their milling program that we have, and they're looking at some trees that they have, and there might be one saw log in there, but most of the crown is very limmy. It spreads out. All those limbs are uh, bowed in different ways. They're bent. Um, none of that's really good saw logs, and it's it's a uh, to cut down a big tree like that to get a small log like that. It's not really right. worth it. It doesn't pay its way. It's not worth it for them, and uh, it's a low-grade tree, even though it might be big. Right. That doesn't mean it can't have value, sentimental value for you. Um, listen, I we have a portable sawmill program, the Catskill Forest Association. There are trees where, okay, maybe it doesn't have a 16-foot log that some mill wants to buy, but maybe it has a 4- or 8-foot that you could use. That's fine. It's just not commercial, right? There are differences yeah. between hobbies and things that pay the bills. And these pay the bills. These trees pay the bills. Um, usually, they're hardwood trees. Now, this is kind of a misconception because there's, there's trees that are labeled in the hardwood camp. They're not really hard. So basswood comes to mind, hmm. right? Willow, they're considered a hardwood, but their wood is, is not. It's right. not really that hard. Then there's softwood trees, and these are mainly your conifers. And for, for the most part, most of them are pretty soft. This would be, say, hemlock in, mm -hmm. our, in the Catskills and white pine and Norway spruce for the most part. Yeah. Norway spruce, the latter, is planted in plantations. It doesn't usually naturally occur, although in some areas it is naturally regenerating because it's deer-resistant. Like I say, deer-proofed. Not anymore, but... Yeah, I've seen it. 
You've seen deer browse on Norway spruce, right? Yep. That's crazy. So that's when they're really hungry, right? And dumpster diving for, for anything. So trees that are worth money, hardwood trees, typical hardwood trees would be what? Hardwood, sugar maple comes to mind. Walnut, black, black walnut, walnut, white ash, and oak. Yeah. Red oak, white oak. White oak's worth, I hear, the most. Yeah. yeah dwindling, we, dwindling stock. Yeah, I mean, right now there's um, a lot of white oak trees in the upper age classes, but looking at the uh, the age classes and the, and the younger varieties, they're not really there. So, But there's a lot of demand for white oak, uh, I guess from China and the craft distilleries and large distilleries that need white oak barrels to contain whiskey. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize U.S. has this law, federal law, really? that says it's not whiskey. You can't call it whiskey <clears throat> unless it's been aged, I believe, two years in a white oak whiskey barrel. Yeah, it's not considered like bourbon. It's not considered uh, bourbon technically. You can't sell it as bourbon unless it's aged in a white oak barrel. Mm. Um, interesting. It is interesting, you know. But it puts stress on the white oak. Yeah, because you need new trees. That's right. And we're not going to talk about white oak more because we've done that quite a bit in the past. The fire and blah, blah, blah. Enough. Enough. Stop. <laughs> okay, quantity of trees. you got to have, like, you can't just have a few, like, white oaks that are straight, 16 feet, 20 inches in diameter at breast height. You need, like, enough to entice someone to want to cut them and put them on a huge truck right. and haul them away. Or haul them, skid them out of the woods first to a landing and then haul them away very far. Wood, as you might imagine, is bulky, big disadvantage, and heavy. <laughs> yeah, those big triaxle tri trucks you usually see, you know, you kind of want enough wood to fill one of those at least. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So, quantity, ease of access. You know, um, I used to be sit on the board of the Empire State Forest Products Association, and they were going over skid length of skid trails. So that means when you go loggers up in the woods, he's cutting, trees on the ground, takes the top off, lops the top, and skids it out with a skidder mm -hmm. through the woods to a landing. And from the landing, it's put on a truck, loaded, and hauled away, right? Right. They said the Catskills... Even though we think, oh, we're not that remote compared to the Adirondacks, the Catskills have longer skid lengths than most areas in New York State. Hmm. And it's because it is rocky, and we never had the infrastructure developed. So um, my predecessor, Jim Waters, he used to work in northern New York, and they built a whole infrastructure in the Adirondacks, paper companies, timber, where there was just roads everywhere. Mm -hmm. So actually they didn't have long skid lengths because you could skid – to a large road where there would be a truck right there. Whereas I remember this one guy up in Pecamoose, I could hear where he was cutting up on the hill, the mountain. He had at least three miles maybe to skid that log out. Wow. So that's what I was saying. Some of these skid lengths were miles long. I mean very long. That so adds that to adds the cost. cost. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say. Right. And it takes just as much work or not much more to cut down you know, a 20-inch tree compared to, say, a 14-inch tree. It's not that much more work, usually. More fuel and less logs in a day. So who's coming out of the woods? The 20-inch sugar maple <laughs> or 
the 14-inch red maple or yellow birch. Yellow birch is a low-grade tree in the, in the Catskills, mm. not in the Adirondacks. Yeah, every time the, the big, nice 24-inch straight-growing sugar maple is paying its way out of the woods. Yeah. Okay, if you're going to justify all that diesel fuel... And if you had a forester, which we recommend, who marked it and walked it, inventoried it, and put it out to bid and contracted it, then you had the, the logger had to buy the timber from the landowner, and then he's got to risk his life and limb, literally, to go get these things. Um, and then he's got to sell it, uh, transport and sell it to, um, you know, a mill. Mm. Yeah, no, the bigger, highest grade trees in the Catskills are only going to be cut and make their way out of the woods and the reason why also is where are the markets so value added factories are mainly outside of the state we have some but for the most part they're in canada so we're actually an exporter of 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 raw material logs which you know you don't think of new york state exporting much of anything Hmm. except for children Hopefully my kids remain in New College State. graduates. <laughs> College graduates. <laughs> right, future Southerners. I hope not. I hope my kids can, can stay in the Catskills. Um, but, yeah, we're exporting logs to Canada and China. It's crazy. So they so have the worth more there than they are here. They can make it into things, value-added, meaning make it into flooring or whatever, cabinetry, and then they sell it back to us. So... There's there's that going on. So again, even more reason for only the highest grade trees to be cut. Um, what else? What else? What else? Oh yeah. So then we'll get into low grade. So we just define high grade, which is like mainly what we have as markets go, uh, trees that pay their way out of the woods and go to somewhere else. We'll talk about low grade next. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest with Ryan and Zane. Tonight's topic is trees that no one wants. Oh, can 
From the forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight's Ryan and Zane. We're talking about trees that no one wants. So sad. That was Love is the Drug. I don't remember the name of the band. Um, you know, it's making me think about maybe... I don't know when that song came out. 70s, 80s? Whatever happened to Dice being hung on the rearview mirror <laughs> That's on what, a, of a vehicle? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they get sun-bleached or they start to smell after a while. I don't know. Yeah. I say we bring it back. Gotta get some dice. No? Visual obstruction. I've known Might people that get over, tickets for that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Just another reason to get a ticket. You know? It's only Have dice. cops just given up on tinted windows? I feel like that was a big deal back in the day. Or, Everyone Or tinted license plates. We don't seem to, I don't know. Yeah. That's always shocked to me. I mean, I never see anyone getting pulled over for tinted windows anymore. Not that I want to see anyone get pulled over for tinted windows. Don't misunderstand. But anyway... Are we talking about trees? <laughs> Wait, what? Wait, what? Uh, trees that no one wants. So we define what high-grade trees are, trees that pay their way out of the woods. Um, these are mainly straight-growing trees, 16 feet clear of branches, hardwood trees, greater than 14 inches in diameter at breast height, mainly in our neck of the woods, sugar maple or hard maple, yeah, black walnut if you're down the valley, red oak sometimes, although it's down right now, white oak. More down the valley for white oak. White ash, unless it's dying from the emerald ash board, but white ash prices have been relatively high. Uh, what else? What else? Um, red maple's not too bad, not too shabby, medium of the road, usually. So, yeah, that was high grade. Let's talk about low grade, trees that don't pay their way out of the woods. These are far more abundant than high grade trees. Trees that are less than 14 inches in diameter. They are crooked trees. Got plenty of crooked trees out there. These are many softwoods. So hemlock. If you have a hemlock stand, you have to cut so many hemlock. In some places, you do need to cut a lot of hemlock. 
because they're dying from the hemlock woolly adelgid or the elongate hemlock scale. But a lot of people can't find anyone to cut their hemlock even if they wanted to. Mm. Norway spruce stands. Some of these were planted by the Civilian Conservation Corps to put people to work. Seemed like a great idea at the time. Now you're I never stuck. finished it. Yeah. Or maybe some guy decided, you know, I'm going to have a Christmas tree farm. It's going to be great. And then uh, never touched it again. And it grew up. And now it's these Norway spruce trees that are growing really close to each other. And none of them are happy. And yeah. their crowns are in recession. With that, you're not going to find anyone to cut it usually. Just enjoy it as a deer wintering yard. It's about mm. it. You know. Yeah, I've seen a lot of stands like that. They're all the same height. Very tall, very skinny. Um, but it doesn't mean much, you know. Yeah. There's really nothing to be done with it. Just what do you it. do? Oh, white pine. Oh, God, white pine. I mean, if you're lucky, they're growing straight. But usually they got uh, weevil damage and there's multi-pronged or stemmed multiple trunks. So they're either even more worthless. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, you know, I, I use worthless in, in the, uh, not the derogatory sense, but more in like there's no market for it if you wanted them cut. Okay, so low-grade markets are lacking in the Catskills. Well, you might be asking, what the heck are low-grade markets? Like, what are we talking about here? I mean, I see a guy cutting firewood. It's a low-grade market, and it is. It's just not significant enough in the landscape to really have an impact on forest condition. So that would be our most um, abundant low-grade market. But still, hmm. it's not that abundant. Woody biomass. This was a big deal... In the 2007, 8, 9, 10 period when oil prices were really high and people were knocking on doors to sell pellets and get pellet plants going. So this is wood pellets for heating. Uh, wood chips even. Wood chips were being or talked about being used to boil water on a, on a large scale to heat municipalities or schools or hospitals. Uh, this is done in some places in New England. In Austria, they do this. I think that'd be really cool to have if, oh, yeah. when I grew up to have my school powered by woody biomass and a steam some, boiler. Yeah. Some schools are. It's really cool. I think it's cool. But especially some, in the winter, you just you take a tour through there and you know how you know they're taking care of you, keeping you warm. I've gone to some of these, and they're more the the, the colder it is, the more efficient they are because they burn hotter. Um, the days when they're least efficient is when it's mild out. But um, what an awesome system because once that water's hot, it, they are very efficient. They give off very little ash because these are big units. And like I said, the larger they are, the more efficient they are. <clears throat> Electricity, wood's not as, as, as efficient apparently in, in doing. Paper, pulp, these would be low-graded. We do not have a paper and pulp market at all or woody, woody biomass. Oriented strand board, OSB. What is that? That's like, uh, stuff, uh, I don't you know, know, like particle board and stuff, right? Oh, I see. The stuff that it's all like mashed together. Yeah. It looks just like a bunch of flattened wood chips. I think so. I haven't gone to one since 2004 when I was at the New York State Ranger School and we toured one in western New York. It was really cool. It looked like a big something out of Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory except for the wood and they combine it and it was all on this guy's computer screen and, and it's just nuts hmm. but they spit out this product and it's it's pretty neat it gives you uh, structural material hmm. pallet wood 
there there are a lot of mills or some mills, I'm not gonna say a lot, that make pallets from the low grade wood, but still doesn't have much impact to yeah. affect forest condition. That's the goal. So diversity matters though. The problem with not having low grade markets is that it can really influence what can and can't be done in your forest. So the lack of diversity in markets has long-lasting impacts on forests. The incentive to harvest only the best quality is high grading. This was exactly the reason why the Catskill Forest Association was created in 1982, was to combat high grading, where you know someone knocks on your door and they say they want to cut the trees, and they only cut the best trees. Now, they cut the biggest trees, maybe your best sugar maple or red oak, especially in 1970s and 80s when red oak prices were really high. And those big fat trees aren't necessarily older. They're just Mm -hmm. growing faster. Biggest misconception about trees. And they left the smaller ones behind or the crooked ones or the species that aren't worth much. So a lot of people's forests are left with smaller diameter trees, crooked trees, uh, red maple looking really bad, yellow birch looking terrible, American beech because it's not worth much because of the beech bark disease. And all the nice sugar maple and red oak are taken out right away. And a lot of people don't care because they, they say, hey, at least they didn't clear cut it. Right. And this is what we would refer to in the forestry world as the green lie because it's trees, but they're in purgatory. They're degraded. Yeah. They've literally been removed of the best. They're slow growing. Even if you were to get sunlight on those trees, they wouldn't really react very well. Because they're they're stunted. That you left the runts. You shot the best cows. You left the worst ones to perpetuate the herd, right? That's kind of the analogy that's been used a lot. Um, something like that, though. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's something to that you can gotta help people to visualize by explaining to them what a high quality tree is, what the biggest trees provide, what the diversity provides. Yeah. And it's usually not a you know happy conversation sometimes if somebody's property has been high graded in the past and you're really uh struggling to find some merits to the situation when there might not be some uh when this typically occurs is if you're a new landowner in the last whatever few years or just a new landowner they probably cut it right before Mm -hmm. this is very typical of people who um they're hurting to pay the taxes. And a lot of people don't do this because they hate their woods or anything or they're greedy. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure some people, but really they're in a rock and a hard place. I've seen it. You know, that the, they're barely paying the taxes. They're either going to parcelize it. Some of them don't want to do that. Uh, okay, let me let me liquidate the thing that's the most movable, the trees, before mm-hmm. I sell the farm and this land that family has owned forever. And they do that. Then, if they still can't pay the bills, maybe they put okay. I'll sell a conservation easement or something to the city, or you know, or in the last case, maybe I'll just sell sell a few parcels for for houses or whatever. But the first thing to come off is is timber, okay, mm-hmm. and the best quality timber that that's usually gone, yeah, and that is hard to explain to someone because you're there and they're happy that they bought their woods, and and I'm I'm not saying they shouldn't still be, but you're like they took the best trees yeah you know that leaves you with less op- options as a forest owner who might right. want to do some of that management so the problem comes is Merrick, let's go back to that survey we talked about with the usda forest service where they poll landowners and they say well, what why do you want to own land 
And a lot of people say for recreation, but wildlife is way up there. And mm-hmm. this gets to why you should care that there's a lack of low-grade low markets, why you should care that there's trees that no one wants. And if you want to cut hard or open up, say, your fruit and nut trees to benefit wildlife or create early successional plants or trees or seedlings or shrubs, you have to cut hard mm-hmm. or you have to cut more. And that's where you, you have to pay now because if there was a low-grade market – you wouldn't have to pay. Maybe it's break even. Maybe you make some money if there's a woody biomass market or a pulp market or a paper market, more firewood, whatever. Mm-hmm. But no, no, no. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to pay out of pocket, pal. Yeah. So more diverse markets would incentivize some of that. Yeah, and if they're like, well, I'm not gonna cut. Okay. Yeah, that's what most people are doing. Most people are not cutting. So yeah. join the crowd. But if you don't cut, you are managing for something. You know, de facto or default is your forest is going to become denser, and that's that's a trade-off. That's at the expense of more shade, intolerant trees and shrubs, which happen to be most things that are edible. Black cherry. You were talking about black cherry earlier in the show. Yeah. Uh, that's mainly there from accidental farm abandonment because they needed full sunlight when the hayfield was abandoned, right? Um, bitternut hickory, shagbark hickory, red oak, white oak, chestnut oak. Uh, what else? What else? What am I missing here? Uh, walnut we mentioned. Yeah, black walnut, butternut, or white walnut as well. Just young age classes, tree, shrubs, seedlings, forbs, grasses, all those things. So that that can be expensive, very expensive. You know, like um, for example, the lack of markets means you might pay a lot. So if you wanted to open up your oak trees. You're like, okay, I want to manage for turkey and, and deer, and small mammals. I got I to gotta release my oak trees so they produce acorns or, I, or they just continue to live. Otherwise, they get swallowed up by dense forests of red maple. They're going to come all around it and shade it out. Well, that's going to cost some money. Um, say you want to manage for the New England cottontail that they claim has never crossed the Hudson River. I, I still am skeptical about that, but I guess it's true. And uh, we, we've done this before. canopy opening, right? Mm -hmm. Or the Audubon Society. They want ground nesting songbirds. You got to do big cuts. Well, that can be dangerous and costly. And Mm -hmm. so, without the lack, with with the lack of low grade markets, you're going to pay, you know, $200 to $500 an acre or more or far more. Yeah, and that's just leaving the material on the ground because it's worth more there than it is dragging out of the woods. For wildlife, for sure. And regeneration, for sure. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, you know. It's just a different way to manage woods, and but it leaves us with, with landowners with less options um, that way. This show is really just about to get your options there. Of course, we have our own biases. We have our own opinions. Um, I make, mo- make no mistake, I make mine, I think, pretty clear. Mm. But I'm not going to say whether one is, um, you know, objectively better or not um, there's just a cost of doing nothing we're here to educate about what that is yeah. so there are cost-sharing programs so since there are no low-grade markets the private sector doesn't have those available for a whole variety of reasons we're not going to get into on this show the government has to step in and have cost-sharing programs to mm. make it a little more worthwhile to incentivize forest owners to do these things 
Um, so those would be through the Watershed Agricultural Council, the Ma Management Assistance Program, if you're in the New York State, um, New York City watershed. The DEC now has their, uh, what is that, Regenerate New York? Yep, Regenerate. It's on the third round now. That's statewide to address early successional habitat, which is now missing in New York. Uh, a lot of these wildlife things we're talking about. So there's also the USDA at the federal level, the Natural Resources Conservation District. Each county has one, and they have the another acronym, sorry, EQIP, Environmental Quality Incentives Program, and they they pay pretty well. Rates mm -hmm. we've 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 done work through them often for 80% canopy openings for say the New England cottontail, or to just get uh, early sessional habitat for ground nesting songbirds or uh, mammals cover, getting some kind of cover on the ground. Some kind of regeneration, although in many areas you can't get regeneration sometimes because mm -hmm. the deer is so atrocious without fencing. But um, these programs would be less necessary with healthier forest markets or diversity of markets, and that's what I'm trying to kind of get clear here. Let's take a break. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Tonight's topic is trees that no one wants.
he wants love. I don't know. I'm just going to go out there and... Yeah, you better. I think he wants it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is from The Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan Zane. We're talking about trees that no one wants. And uh, let's see. So we talked about how we lack low-grade markets. It's hard to get rid of trees that are uh, poor quality or competing with um, trees that you might want to keep or manage to meet a variety of goals like wildlife habitat management or maple sugaring or uh, sun-loving or shade-intolerant plants and trees. And that can cost you money instead if you need to cut out some trees. So it's counterintuitive. Culture matters. It's counterintuitive or ironic that forest health might depend upon some forest industry. Uh, I think I feel like a lot of times we hear about the evils of industry and forest industry, and we think of Dr. Seuss and a bunch of trees being loaded into a thing and spit out and stuff, the Lorax and all that stuff. Exploitation. Actually, I don't see it that way anymore. I think I saw it like that when I was like 10 years old maybe, but definitely not today. Um, Actually, I think the lack of of, of market diversity has harmed our forest big time it really cuffs or handcuffs our hands as foresters to practice good silviculture and forestry in the way that we were taught Mm. it makes forestry really boring sometimes because you can't the things you want to do the openings you want to do that to make more diversity biodiversity it's hard to do when there's no market to cut some of those trees you're Mm -hmm. kind of like well we can't do that can't find someone to do that on that scale all right. I'm kind of jealous of some of the older foresters who, you know, in Maine, they're doing prescribed burns on a huge scale or some of the larger, uh, you know, paper and pulp where they're, you know, they're, they're uh, taking out large numbers of trees and, and tree planting and doing lots of research projects in the Adirondacks. And they did a lot of genetics and studies and stuff like that, stuff that we, we just can't do today, at least not right now. Maybe someday. Who knows? So, but ultimately, uh, it's not just about cutting trees willy nilly. It's about cutting. We like to say the right tree in quotes. Um, not enough time to go into what that right tree is. It's up to uh, educated or knowledgeable forest owners, foresters, and loggers, and that's what creates healthy forests. But ultimately, in the American system, I hope the forest owners in charge because they own the land. So you know, buyer beware. You know, mm-hmm. it's who you hire and stuff like that. Ultimately, you are in charge. So that's that's what I'll say about that. Um, the, the the newer challenges are, as the USDA Forest Service kind of predicted about 10 years ago, that we were on the cusp of one of the biggest land ownership turnovers in American history. The baby boomers would be relinquishing the torch or passing the baton, whatever you want to say, to the Generation X or Millennials, and it happened. They were right. Uh, right around 2012, 13, 14, 15, we started to see this. I never really met anyone younger than 55 years old when I was at the Catskill Forest Association 2007 or 8 or 9 or 10, and now it's very common to meet people in their 40s. Mm-hmm. So it definitely happened, and the question is, and, and the jury's out, whether the newer generation will be as tolerant or more tolerant, I would say, to new industries, new mm-hmm. markets that will give us options. And I hate to say the tool in the toolbox, but give <laughs> us tools in the toolbox because right now they're taking them away. They hit them. I don't know where they are. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm a millennial, I think. Uh, people my age, they want a lot of opportunities. 
And if you have an asset, if you have land and you're putting money into a house or you're enamored with your old uh, uh, rustic uh, barn that you're putting money to as well, you look at the land. You want to you hope that there's opportunities out there for you to do things with your land yeah. if you can't do them on your own. Yeah, absolutely. We can't do everything. Um, you know, division of labor is a powerful thing. And uh, yeah. if there was more markets, you'd be able to hire someone that this is what they do. Yeah, no, I do that. I cut trees down. Specialization, yeah. man. It's powerful. I feel like younger people are, they do have an innovative spirit um, that was lacking uh, for the last 30 years. I think there was a lot of, you know, let it be and let it grow. And, and there was a time and place for that, I feel. But, you know, there, we, need, we need some market diversity. Mm. I think we're there. And uh, it would help tremendously. Uh, we have we have the resources for it. We have the resources for it. We're in a very good position with growing our forest industry, and in not just here in the Catskills, but New York State. We really are. Um, so that's a huge opportunity, I feel. But maybe you're wondering, well, how did human? How did we have vibrant forests before? We only have about a minute left. How did we have vibrant forests before, Ryan? Without markets, low grade, high grade. Mm-hmm. Well, we had fire. And fire was a cheap way, what I call the ancient pesticide. Um, It was used to manage forests as the ancient tool of cutting, used for cutting, uh, really burning, used in forest management. And it was the uh, ancient way to manage ticks and and a lot of diseases and sterilize the forest and lengthen growing seasons by blackening the soil and, and really good for fruit, nut trees, blah, blah, blah. But we don't have that in the toolbox anymore, so you're taking that out. So we really need to rely on forest markets mechanical cutting mm-hmm. and if we're not going to have that well now we're really limiting that that toolbox again so that's that's what i think we'll see what the new generation does jury's out what do you think a uh, hundred years ago people who were in that era where they uh got a lot of income and their markets were diverse and based off the land what would they think of the situation nowadays and i mean how would you even begin to explain how the markets work or don't work for the forest Man. industry yeah, if you could explain to someone the late 1800s, you mean? Like, yeah, um, somebody at the that, heyday there. And... That when it was the peak agriculture in New York State that all of this would be gone and abandoned and, and forced because we don't need farms anymore. We're relying on the Midwest. Yeah. I think that would be like going to the moon. <laughs> yeah. Trying to explain what it's yeah. like on the surface of the moon. Well, who knows? Things can change. Maybe today we won't believe that You know, we'll have forest markets someday. People say, oh, they're rabbing. No, I'll never say that. Anyway, um... That's all we got from the forest, and see you next week. Good night, everyone. All right. Oh, the neon lights were flashing, and the icy wind did blow. The water seeped into his shoes, and the drizzle turned to snow. His eyes were red, his hopes were dead, and the wine was running low. And the old man came home from the forest. His tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in the street. A dozen faces stopped to stare, but no one stopped to speak. For his castle was a hallway and the bottle was his friend. And the old man stumbled in. Forest. Up a dark and dingy staircase 
this way His ragged coat around him as upon his cot he lay And he wondered how it happened that he'd ended up this way Getting lost like a fool in the forest And as he lay there sleeping a vision did appear So dear, who'd loved him in the springtime of a long forgotten year, when the wildflowers did bloom in the forest. She touched his grizzled fingers and she called him by his name. 